G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is focused on Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21, and it's entitled, Jesus and His Mate, the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you, and also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke chapter 4, beginning at the 14th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, friends, would you please pray for me as I pray for you? Loving Lord God, as we hear about what happened when Jesus went to church, we pray that you would help us to know you, to love you, to receive your spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today's reading is special to me because it was read at my commissioning here to serve two and a half years ago. I love this passage in Luke chapter 4 because it's a great text to go to when you want to summarize what Christianity, indeed what God, is all about. Today we're going to see what happens when Jesus goes to church. Jesus travels by the power of the Holy Spirit to his hometown in Nazareth. Often we assume that if God were to do something powerful through us, he'd take us to somewhere exotic to do something awesome and everyone would love us instantly. But here Jesus goes home to his version of a Sunday service, preaches from the scriptures, and gets a mixed response. In Luke 4, 14, we read, He went to Nazareth. Ooh, and all my slides are not here, so you're going to have a slideless sermon today. <laughs> he went to Nazareth in verse 14. When he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Right off the bat, we see three applications for us today. And if you have your, um, your service sheets, uh, you'll notice that there's space for, to take notes. 
Um, I encourage you, if you're a note taker like I am, um, there's space there um, in the third page to take some notes. First, the first application from, for us here is that Jesus went to church. So what you're doing this morning is biblical. And if you want to become more like Jesus, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> After the temple in Jerusalem was first destroyed in 586 BC, Jews started building small places of worship. These weren't designed to replace the temple in Jerusalem, but they're a place for Saturday prayers to be said as a community and for the scriptures to be read and taught. Christian churches, churches like this, are modeled on Jewish synagogues. And Luke tells us that it was Jesus' custom to attend church regularly. Second thing we see here is that Jesus was educated. Not many people could read at the time, but Jesus could read and write. This shows us that Jesus' family valued education. And so it's good and right that we're blessing our students, that we're having a blessing of the backpacks today. Because as followers of Jesus, we value learning about God and about God's world. Education isn't everything, but it matters to God. And so it matters to us. It matters to God that we become lifelong learners. The third thing we see off the bat is that Jesus preached. At the time, paid ministers as such didn't exist. Instead, educated laymen were invited by the assembly to read and explain the scriptures. And this is what happens. Jesus comes along and they invite him to read and then also sit down, because people sat down to preach at the time, and help them understand what is going on. This matters for you, friend, today, because perhaps God is calling you to preach or to teach the scriptures in RI and elsewhere. And if you have this calling, you don't need to have a title. You don't need to have reverend, pastor, or priest in front of your name. If God is calling you to teach his people, I'd love to have a chat with you and give you an opportunity to learn and grow and to do just that. The next thing we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is your friend. We get a little insight into the deep relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of Luke, we read of Jesus' baptism and how the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and filled him. Then in Luke 4, we read how the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the Spirit leads him to church. Jesus tells us as much in the passage that he chooses to read when he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. At the time, they didn't have books. Instead, they had scrolls. And so he's handed this big scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he chooses this passage. He says, the Spirit is on me because he has anointed me. Last week, Father Ian preached on Jesus and the miracle at the wedding at Cana. There, his mother Mary asked him to do something about the lack of wine at the wedding. And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. 
Here Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. They're teaching together. The time has come for Jesus' ministry to go public. Now it's hard for us to comprehend, but Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit have always existed as three persons united as one God in a bond of friendship and love that is fuller than any other relationship in the world ever. But somehow the Bible tells us that in humbling himself and becoming a human being, Jesus needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit anew. For much of his earthly life, Jesus lived with his parents, Mary and Joseph, swinging a hammer as a chippy. He lived a perfect but very normal life. Around the age of 30, Jesus realizes that his time has come and he gets baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and begins to go public. This is the glory of the Trinity, friends. Our God is one, but he is also community friendship and love and in a sense so are we 1 Corinthians chapter 12 which which Wendy just read um, says this just as a body though one has many parts but all its parts form one body so it is with Christ for we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles slave or free We are all given one spirit to drink. Here we see the dynamic relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The wonderful thing for us here, friends, is that the Holy Spirit wants to be your friend too. He wants to baptize you in his power and love, to empower you to be the church, to read the Bible, to pray, and to live into God's plan for your life. The Holy Spirit is your friend, friend. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you if you have been baptized. If you're a baptized Christian, then when you were baptized, the minister or whoever it was asked for you to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and invited the Holy Spirit into your life. If you're not yet baptized or aren't sure if the Holy Spirit is in you, I'd love to have a chat with you after the service and I'd love to help you come into relationship with God today. There was once a minister who was always really well prepared, uh, but one day he got up to preach and realized he'd forgotten his notes. So he confessed to the church and began by saying, well, today I've forgotten my notes. So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak through me. But don't worry, it won't happen again. (laughs) The Holy Spirit speaks through God's people and through God's word to us every single Sunday and every time we pick up the Bible. The Holy Spirit is your friend And as Jesus gets up to preach in his home church, he does so by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's word preaching through him. 
So let's have a look at what the Spirit does. This uh, passage, when, when Bishop Cam preached in my commissioning, he called it the Nazareth Manifesto. A manifesto is a published declaration of the views, motives, and plans of the author. Here Jesus summarizes the thoughts, views, motives, and plans of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit has anointed him to do. And my goodness, he means business. The first thing Jesus is anointed to do is to proclaim good news for the poor. What is this good news? Well, it's that God cares. Jesus was speaking in an empire where 90% of the people were poor subsistence farmers. Few had property or even enough to eat, and all of them lived in fear of plagues and sickness. And yet they were taught that if you pray hard enough, live good enough, and mind your religious P's and Q's, God will bless you and make you rich. If you were poor, it was your fault and a sign that God didn't love you. Sadly, this sort of thinking is alive and well today. It's called prosperity doctrine. And it's taught not only in the churches, but everywhere. This is completely antithetical. It's against what the Bible teaches. Yes, the Bible preaches against idleness and laziness. But throughout the story of Scripture, God says, I've got good news for you. Yes, we live in a fallen world where wealth is unequally distributed. But I see you. I know you and I love you, whether you're poor or rich. That's why it's such a joy to see the generosity of our church family today. We're not a, we're not a large church, but we have big hearts. And on Friday, I got to ring the wonderful people at our mission partner, the Dolby Family Support Association, and tell them that our church has 13 backpacks filled with stationery ready for children in need as they go back to school this year. It was amazing. Um, I went away for two weeks and I came back and that box that Judy had set up was chock-a-block with money, stationery and backpacks. And I've displayed only some of the backpacks. There's still a whole bunch in the box there. And as I shared that news, that good news with the lady on the other side of the phone, she was overjoyed and thanked God. Awesome. The next thing the Holy Spirit enables Jesus to do is proclaim freedom for the prisoners. The word used here for prisoners is usually used for prisoners of war who were often sold as slaves. However, in some ways, all of Jesus' listeners were prisoners of war in their own country. They were captives of the Roman Empire, taxing them to the hilt, forcing them into wars, and compromising their faith. And on a deeper level, the, spirit, the scriptures always talk about spiritual captivity to sin. So Jesus is saying, if you feel like a prisoner in your mind and in your heart, I've come to set you free. How will Jesus do this? 
He'll do it on the cross. He'll die to make his people citizens of the kingdom of God and break the power of sin and death. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The next thing Jesus says he's been anointed to do is restore sight to the blind. Now, blindness was a worry for many in the first century. Western medicine has given us glasses, eye surgery, and eye medicine. But imagine living in a world where it was more than likely that towards the end of your life you would go blind. Here Jesus says, I've come to restore sight to the blind. And he goes out and he does just that. There are at least three scenarios, three accounts of Jesus healing people who are blind in the Gospels. And no doubt, Jesus healed many more blind people. This work is carried on today by organizations like Christian Blind Mission. But again here, there's a deeper level of meaning to blindness that the Spirit heals. In John 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. The authorities don't like this, so they throw the poor man out of the synagogue. In this instance, who is really blind at the end of this story? It's the people who can't see Jesus for who he is, even though he's walking, talking, and healing among them. When we invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts, we begin to see the world the way that God does. So many people in our world today are spiritually blind. And when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, we see the world anew. And we can't help but want that for others. The next thing that we're told the Holy Spirit free does is frees the oppressed. Jesus' listeners would have felt crushed by many things. The government, violent soldiers, corrupt priests, the list goes on. And I wonder if that's how you feel today, in a way. It's sad that as we start a new year, very few of us feel optimistic about the future. We're worried about COVID, what our politicians will do next. We're worried about family conflicts, particularly over vaccines that's happening in my family supply shortages, and many other things for good reason because the future is so murky. That said, Jesus stepped into a murky world of oppression and he said he was going to set people free. And the glorious thing is that he did just that. The groundswell of hope around Jesus was because He spoke about the kingdom of God as a real place that God draws us into. It wasn't a broken promise. It's a true reality. And Jesus creates a community of friendship. Friends, still today, the Holy Spirit is ready to set you free from the things that oppress you. He might not take you out of your circumstances immediately, but he will give you the strength and the vision to see beyond oppression. 
I remember um, working in a boarding house and there was a, a student called Brent and Brent was one of our naughtiest students. He was constantly getting detentions. He was constantly getting suspended in the boarding house and, um, and he was a really sad and messed up kid. Um, one of the reasons why he was so sad and angry was because his uh, parents were divorcing. And uh, during that time, he started to speak to one of the staff about God and about Jesus. And what he learned about Jesus was so inspiring for him that one night he asked the Holy Spirit into his life. And I'll never forget watching Brent walk across the quadrangle at the school. And it looked like he was walking on air. He was so relieved. He was a changed person. All the anger, all the hurt, all the heartache, all the teenage angst that he was going through was released in a moment. And we saw a young man who had been set free. And this brings us to the year of the Lord's favor. Because this really is what Jesus is talking about, ushering in the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what was the year of the the Lord's favor? Well, in the Old Testament, God gave a law that every 50 years, it was to be a party year. All slaves were to be set free. All property on loan was to be given back to its original owners. And farmers were to leave the land fallow and eat only what it produced naturally. It was a time of feasting, sharing, and setting things free. A year of jubilee. The sad thing is that it never happened. We have no record of the people ever keeping this law. They held on to their slaves, kept their property, and worked their land as hard as they could. Here, Jesus is not saying that he's going to force people into keeping jubilee. Instead, he's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He's saying, look, guys, you didn't keep your side of the promise, but God's going to keep his promises. God is going to set you free and bring you into the rest of his kingdom. I've come to suffer and die so you can have the benefits of a kingdom that you don't deserve. It's worth noting here that Jesus says, the, when Jesus uses the word year, he prolongs it. He's talking about not just 365 days of Jubilee, he's talking about an age of Jubilee. And you and I are still living in it. God's best is extended to us right here and right now because of what Jesus did for us in his life, death, and resurrection. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus ushers in this age of grace in that little synagogue in Nazareth that weekend. And Luke gives us the first sentence of his sermon, and it's absolute gold. In verse 20, we hear that Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In a way, Jesus is saying, The doorway to God is wide open. 
He's ready to be mates with you right here and right now. This scripture has been fulfilled. Next week, we'll look at how this message is received. At first, the people are pleased, but then their thoughts turn to murder, and they actually try to push Jesus off a cliff. Um, And we'll look more at why next week. But for now, let's see that friendship with the Holy Spirit is the most wonderful thing. Jesus shows us what life can be like when we let God's Spirit fill us and carry us. Our circumstances may not be perfect, but our futures are bright. Over the holidays, I started reading um, a book about John Stott, um, an Anglican minister. He died a couple of years ago. Uh, But Time magazine once rated him as one of the most influential people in the world. John was a gifted preacher and uh, writer and leader. And this book is a, is a collection, they're called Portraits, um, basically they're, they're um, summary of memories written by people who knew John Stott. And whether they were um, family, whether they were mentored by John, or maybe they were just fans of him, they all write about how smart John was and how good at speaking he was. But more than that, They write about what a good friend he was. John Stott's love for God, his anointing by the Holy Spirit, empowered him to be a good friend to God and in turn allowed him to be a good friend to those around him and to influence the world around him for good. Many people in this book talk about how John knew their names. He prayed for them regularly, and he inspired them to become better people. The story of John Stott is the story of the power of friendship. Stott's friendship with God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, made him a good friend to others. And he once wrote this. He was writing about the future, and he said, in the future, there will probably be a reduction of human contact as the new electronic network renders personal relationships ever less necessary. He's writing this 40 years ago. (laughs) He, He says, in such a dehumanized society, the fellowship of the local church will become increasingly important, whose members meet one another and talk and listen to one another in person rather than on screen. What incredible words for 2022. Friendship with God is the most wonderful thing, but it calls us not to just be nice, but to form deep and true friendships. Relationships that extend beyond social media and courteous greetings to friends that are with each other through thick and thin, through life and through death. Jesus made the Holy Spirit, was and always will be, the most wonderful friend to us. The challenge for us today is whether we are ready to receive this friendship and extend it on to others. Let's pray. Loving Lord God, we thank and praise you for your power and mercy in our lives. 
We thank you for sending down your Holy Spirit to live amongst us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower us to pursue friendship with you and to extend your friendship onto others so that they may experience your love and grace. In Christ's name, amen.